It's time for Cubicle Insanity. I've got Kim here with me, and I'm Tammy. We're back together again to talk about that little thing we love, corporate America, our jobs, leadership, all things related to our organizations. Our podcast is a discussion about the real insanity from cubicles in the workplaces, from leadership and leaders to experiences with life in the cubicles. Let's get into our latest cubicle insanity, Kim. Let's go. Okay. I have this uh, article that caught my interest, and it's called The World's a Broken Workplace. What? That's a sad title. Um, hopefully, we can turn it around with our positive and lively discussion, um, but it's based on, uh, so it's uh, written by a guy named Jim Clifton. And it's based on a Gallup's world poll, and it says that only 15% of the world's 1 billion full-time workers are engaged at work. 15%. 15% of 1 billion? That's not very many of us. It's not. Okay, so first of all, before we jump into some of the details here, they don't describe, and I didn't look up. Perhaps I don't know what Gallup defines as being engaged. So if you were engaged at work, so Kim, tell us what do you think? Give us an idea of what you think engaged at work means. I think engaged is um, you enjoy what you do. You feel like you're contributing, and you feel like you're being rewarded and recognized for your contributions. Okay, I completely agree. I was going to say you feel like. There's value. You are contributing value. You are getting value back, whether that's in yeah. words or money or right. or or whatever. Um, I might even go as far as to say that you know the weekly Sunday night dreads mm-hmm. don't happen. They'll yeah. happen occasionally, perhaps, but sure. it's not like every weekend you're like, oh crap, yeah. Monday. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I agree. That's I think so. I think that's a good starting point for our um, our discussion on this. And um, according to the poll. So I feel like these words are a little bit strong, but I'm going to read them because I don't want to misinterpret. Many people in the world hate their job. Hate's a strong word. Very strong word. So, okay. Say that again. Many people in the world hate their job. Wait for it. And especially their boss. So I feel like we've talked about that one. We've talked Uh, about that one numerous times. It comes up all the time. It does. But I think it does have a huge impact on engagement because even if you're getting you maybe you like the work you do and you're getting paid for it but if you're working for somebody who is not letting you reach sort of what you think your full achievements can be in that or that you're not even getting like you said you're not getting that sort of that feedback that appreciation Mm -hmm. the um sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for the positive reinforcement yeah (laughs) then your enjoyment, your engagement definitely goes down. So now you've worked for several global organizations. And the thing that surprised me in reading this is it says here, so in this article, it's saying that um, be, because of the seriousness of this engagement in in working and sort of that culture that happens um, is that suicide rates in Japan have caused the government to intervene yeah. 94% of Japanese workers are not engaged. Yeah. 
So it's not just company culture that plays into this. It's culture of your uh, where you live yeah, around country, the globe. Yeah, your country culture, your local culture, absolutely. Yeah, we um so in one of my companies we did have a couple of suicides from our employees in in uh, Japan and it was just that they worked themselves because of the honor and the safe face they worked just nonstop around the clock continuously like wouldn't really take um, breaks to sleep or to get nourishment and things like that and it just basically led to their death and so yeah the, their government. Uh, has intervened and said like hey such things sort of like what we see in France as well because they're worried about the psychological well-being of their employees is like you know you can't ask them to check their emails like on the their vacations or on the weekends or after certain hours and in the buildings like after you know I'm going to make up the time but after like 8 p.m. no one is allowed in the building and if so, then the managers get in trouble for it. Wow. So if it's the if it's the country's culture, or I'm saying country, it could be you know I suppose even like a, a more local or regional yeah. type so of culture. So it's the labor laws that they're implementing. What like as an organization to engage your employees in a positive way? Yeah. Do there's got to be organizations in those areas that are able to outside of the government intervening with laws and and whatnot. There, there are have to be steps that they're able to take to encourage reasonable. Well, there is, but again, it's cultural. It, you know, like hey, we it, it, depending upon what company you work for, there might be such demands that the expectations are there. So, given how their customs are, you just hey, I gotta work, I gotta work, and um, and what company isn't gonna take all? You know, somebody getting it done. I mean, you know. When was the last time your manager sent you home? Like, hey, Tammy, it's 4 o'clock. It's time for you to go. You, right. you know, you've had your eight hours today. Companies don't think in those terms. No. It's about the bottom line. And so it does take government, state, in, you know, state, region, providences, whatever, you know, however the country is divided up to implement labor laws. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have it here in the states, too. Uh, right. California, I think. Yep. They have probably a lot. They have a lot more state laws, but we have federal, uh, yeah. non-exempt, yeah, uh, criteria. Right. So, yeah. So that so that is a different. I hadn't thought of it from when they talked about the Japanese in here. I hadn't really thought about it from that culture perspective that that impacts our engagement. So we're saying, sure, there might be bad organizations, and there's a whole lot of bad bosses out there, but sometimes. Those aren't even coming into play. Right. It There's other things. Yeah. So that portion, may, it makes it probably a lot more difficult for an organization or even a boss to control. I mean, they could, I would hope, well, I mean, obviously they don't, but, or the majority, um, could put things into play. They could be that human side. And Yeah. Like my experience has been like, for, for example, in Japan, like, we had some really good managers, very thoughtful about their employees. And then there was others that was just like a tyrant head down, grinding away, you know, telling the employees, you've got to get this done. you got to, you know, adjust the demands and putting the pressure on them. And, you, you know, that's where we always had trouble with our employees, whether it was health. And in fact, we had one person develop a very serious liver blood disease 
and they contribute it to the stress put on them by the company. Uh, and uh, so awful. Yeah, and so we had to work through that, and we we had to make some serious changes. We actually had to let the manager go of this person and the group that they were in because of the undue pressure that they were putting on all, in on all the employees. Wow, that's crazy. And, you know, if you think about lar- large organizations, how do you find those people? How do you find those managers that are yeah. acting that way, you know? Um, that's – it's so sad. But it makes me think about – here in the States, um, I probably am not thankful enough, appreciative enough of like the wellness programs that are in place because a lot of that. So, um, you know, all of the people who work in corporate benefits groups and have to come up with what the plan's going to be and, and work with all the vendors to, you know, go through all of those details, you know, there are, that you know they do get reports to say okay so here's how much money your plan paid out for people mm-hmm. who had heart attacks or you know right. and, and you know maybe they group it bigger but like they ha- they get all that data back and that's sort of where the wellness programs came in is how do we save money on yeah all of this medical cost let's do some some wellness and i think it has sort of expanded to impact engagement as well so that yeah. we are, <laughs> we are developing diseases or committing suicide yeah because in, of our jobs. Yeah, and to an, answer your earlier question about, like, how do you find out about, like, those bad managers? Yeah. So, you know. Good some, leaders. <laughs> well, one, you have good leaders. But secondly, you know, HR, I think it's a bad rap sometimes. Not sometimes. Often. Yeah. Um, depending. But, you know, like, HR will go do site visits, right? And they want to have one-on-ones with employees. This is the opportunity for the employees to speak up if there's something going on. Don't. Don't avoid those meetings. Don't avoid those roundtables. That's why HR is traveling to the sites. It's not just because they want to go see the world because you don't get that opportunity to go see the world when you're traveling right. for business. You know, it's to the office, you know, from the airport to the hotel to the office back and repeat. But when you're having the roundtables or you're talking with the employees, employees, this is your opportunity to speak up so that it is discovered. Yeah, and it's it's not just tattletaling. It's talk about what's really happening in the workplace. Right. What come up with ideas? What makes it better? Right. Share those. Um, it's not just you know uh, a spy mission, right? To uncover bad things. It's right. to uncover good things. Yeah, I mean the point ideas is, right. and yeah. But if there is something bad going on, do bring it up. Yeah, don't be afraid. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So that was a, a little bit shocking. So. Um, The, so the premise a little bit here is we're we're sort of in this – we have so many generations. You and I have talked about this a lot. We have so many generations in the workplace that we've been a little bit stagnant as far as how do we approach um, our culture and how do we approach our uh, – our, our, you know, uh, building of people, you know, even, you know, our talent practices – but we're it's with this whole thought of engagement and, and the different generations, it's taking us to a new place. And so yeah, there's a lot of bad managers. We've talked mm-hmm. about it. People oftentimes don't leave organizations or jobs. They're mostly impacted, forced, right. uh, the, you know, to leave because of of their their direct boss. So uh, I thought this was interesting. It may not be the manager's fault, he says. 
um, so much so much as these managers have not been prepared to coach the new workforce. Hmm. I That's think, very true. I think on a lot of levels, I agree with that. I think yeah. there's probably just people who are bad managers. But have they been given the right tools and the right direction and the right support right. to become better and, and to, to handle these um, these different things? So he talked about managers are accustomed to the old practices. Um, examples are like filling out the forms, maybe doing those annual performance reviews where you don't even talk to the person. You just write some stuff down um, versus having development conversations yeah. and staying a little bit more in tune um, with what's going on. So have the man- do the managers have the capabilities and experiences yes. to be um, that coach and manager versus just a manager of checking the boxes and filling out the forms? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of thoughts that you just brought to mind. Um, there's, there's a phrase... Why am I always so bad at coming up with these like little phrases and cliches that are out there? But basically like, um, like if you, you know, uh, if you grew up in a certain environment, like you sort of perpetuate that. Do you yeah. know? Okay. So I know there's a little yeah. phrase for it, but I can't think of it. And sometimes I think that happens to managers is they saw what their manager did. So if we talk generations, baby boomers, um, their approach to work and the workplace is different. They, um, they are all about having that sort of long-term relationship with their right. organization and loyalty means something and, and this. And so, you know, if you think about what they will take, what they learned from their managers, they'll perpetuate that. Mm-hmm. And so they'll treat the people who work for them that same way. Right. Um, Gen X, a little, you know, if we're moving generations. They have a different focus, maybe breaking the mold a little bit, but still a lot of, how you move forward is based on what you mm-hmm. saw happening mm-hmm. before. So I think that sometimes where we get to this point is we don't train managers to do anything different, so they just replicate right. what they saw happening, good right. or bad, right. whether they liked it or didn't like it. Yeah, It's all they know. So they're carrying it forward. Yeah. Um, and, okay, so then you were also talking about... Capabilities and experience. Yeah. I'm, and I know we this has come up in our discussions, and we love this example. But it's like taking that 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 person who is the best engineer mm-hmm. and promoting them to be manager of the engineers. Yeah, if they're the most technic, the best technical person doesn't mean they're going to make the best leader of the technical group. Yes, and that's what we see often. Often that so maybe they have the most seniority in the group, or maybe they're you know just so highly successful in that role, and we promote them. So I mean, there's a the kind of the people manager track of a, of a of a job family, but mm-hmm. then there's also that still that individual contributor track right. where you can still continue to be promoted and take on additional responsibilities, et cetera. But we put them in that other track, and we don't always think about are they the best person for managing people? They're great at their job. Everybody loves them because they're great at their job. They contribute so much. They're subject matter experts. Gosh. It doesn't mean that they're people experts, right? Are people capable? Right. And then that poor person just can't be successful. It's not who they are. Well, and they're not engaged because they're miserable because it's not something they enjoy doing. Right. We've totally, like, they used to be highly engaged because they loved it. Now they're not at all. We haven't given them the tools or really set expectations of what it means. Snowball. Right. Domino. Right. 
So yeah. So I, again, going back to, we, they haven't been prepared. So some yeah. of it might be their fault, but it's also, well, number one on them to realize, be self-aware. Yeah. Be self-aware. And I think two things along that lines is one, um, you might be the most technical person, but if you're really not interested in being a manager or a leader of people, you have to say that. Yes. No matter how hard a company pushes you, because yep. I've seen that happen, you have to say no. Yep. Because you're going to be- Or say, I'll try it. I'll try it, but then I need an all, you know, if this doesn't work, then it's not, you know, I get the out. But the other thing is, is if you say, okay, I'm going to try it, then be self-aware to say, here's what I need and ask for what you need. Yeah. Again, companies aren't mind readers. They have typically the standard like here's here's how you write a performance review or here's when we do maybe not even how to write them, but here's when performance reviews are and you know they have a calendar of things. But you have to ask for and be aware of what your gaps are. Yeah, you have to want to be good. Yeah. At that role. I, I think I've shared this many times before. When I first became a people manager, I was not very good. Yeah. Like I will uh, and I don't think I knew it at first. It did take me a little bit of time, not long, to realize I was not good at it. And the reason Why? I, the reason I wasn't is I was doing what I saw done. I was yeah. not being true to myself. Yeah, I was not being that type of manager where, like, as as an employee going. Why why does my manager do this? Like it's yeah. ridiculous. Or why don't they, you know, thank me for coming to work? Like right. I did all the things I saw happen and not the things that I thought were important. So it took yeah. me a little bit of time like to go <laughs> to go through that and carry forward all the bad habits of my prior yeah. managers and bosses to realize I'm not that's not who I am. Yeah. And that's not how I would want to be treated. And then, so it, it there was a, a little bit of a, a reflection moment where I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I'm doing a really bad yeah. job at this." Yeah. Um, and then you know, but then it is like to you said, like I had to take the responsibility to figure out what I needed to be better, and so there, there's so it's not their fault, but at the same time. Be self-aware. Know yeah. what, know what, yeah. where you need help, and 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 what's yeah. right, right for you. Um, and so it, along those lines, this is. Um, I thought this was funny. He says, "What the whole world world wants is a good job," <laughs> and I think that's fair. I think that people come to work. I don't think. I think it's a very small percentage of people who don't even care. I think the majority care and want to do a good job. Yeah. I think every job's a good job. I think it's the manager and or company culture that makes it a bad job. What do you think? Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind, and it's, so there's this TV show called Dirty Jobs. I don't know if it's on anymore. I don't think it is. But basically this guy would go to like the world's most disgusting kind of jobs mm -hmm. and like do it for a day. Yeah. So... Here's the thing. A lot of the people who were doing those really disgusting jobs, like from everything you're thinking about, like poop for sure, mm -hmm. but then also like like tarring the roof in the desert or something, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. 
here's the thing. The people who were doing them, they were smiling and joking with them. They understood the disgustingness yeah. of their job, but they did enjoy each other. Yeah. And they were smiling and having fun. So at first I was going to be like, in my opinion, no, not all jobs are good. But if you are doing a horrible, disgusting job, as long as you have people with you that are in it with you, supporting you, having fun with you. It's the culture. Yeah. Then, you know what? You could do anything. Yeah. Now, those, I, a day might be too long, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I think you're, I, you know what? You could be right. I could maybe get behind you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't feel 100% behind you, but I'm pretty close. Um, so then he goes he goes in to talk a little bit about the, the different generations and kind of focuses here on the, the millennials. So right now the millennials are our youngest, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. th- the next group isn't um, in the workforce yet. Yeah. So the millennials he says are coming to work with great enthusiasm, but they're sort of now being um, the object of these old management practices. So therefore that's causing them to not be engaged. Um, And I do, I think that's true. I think millennials are very enthusiastic about coming to work. Yeah. You know, that's, that was an interesting uh, conversation. It, former employer, we, we transitioned away from a very traditional performance review to just a feedback, an instant feedback system. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting time and place to be in HR because th- where I worked was a lot of very long tenured employees, um, very, um, seasoned or experienced employees later in their careers. And then we had, I'll say the other one-fourth of the uh, employee base was the less experienced or millennials, if you Mm -hmm. want to call them that, um, employees. And so we were transitioning to this feedback system versus a performance review. And the the baby boomers were just like, this is ridiculous, <laughs> and they're going to destroy the company. And, I mean, they just went on and on. I mean, this was months of change management and talking them through and embracing this new system. Yeah. And what was so interesting about this feedback system was the millennials instantly embraced it. Yeah. Like, I mean, they were all in – there wasn't even – any discussion with them. They're just like, okay, hey, this is really cool. I got an app on my phone. I can use my thumbs. I can send something, do something while I walk. I mean, you know, it's very stereotypical. I get it. But um, they were all in. And the baby boomer generation, they fought it tooth and nail. They're like, just go sit down and do your work. Head down, pencil moving, man. But what what was interesting is after about three years of this, because then it led to your merit increases. Oh, of course. Sure. And, you know, the baby boomers, they were kind of like, okay, hey, we're kind of embracing this. And they, I mean, they were straight out of the gates with the, the constructive criticism. The millennials wouldn't. Oh. They only wanted to give you the positives. 
the baby boomers right away gave you the constructive feedback and not so much the positive. So that was an interesting twist to this. I can see that. But that then it was started getting tied to compensation. What was interesting about that piece was the baby boomers were kind of used to this. It's a 2% increase right, year yeah. over year. I mean, they went, you know, they finally got through that. Hey, it used to be 10% every year to, yeah. hey, it's 2%. But the millennials, they're like, this is it. <laughs> and they're like, well, because again, this feedback system, it's not, it's object, it's not objective. It's very subjective. It is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so try to explain to them like, Hey, there's nothing concrete to say you delivered X dollars against X goal, mm-hmm. something very tangible, measurable. Yep. And so it started being like, well, then, I, you know, you could see like the millennials kind of going, well, maybe I want something a little different because they wanted that five, seven, 10% increase. Right, right. And the baby boomers all of a sudden were like, I felt like this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they felt like they kind of had a little bit of a pass, I think. Right, right. Because it wasn't so prescriptive. Right. As it had been. Yeah. Mark down all of your goals, right. then give me all your measures against your goals, and then we'll do an annual discussion. Yeah. And... So, but then over time, I mean, it, it, it kind of balanced out, but the millennials still struggled to give the constructive feedback. Well. And the baby boomers still can tr- struggle to give the positive uh, reinforcement. But, I mean... Uh, that was an interesting. The psychology and sociology behind that is so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because again, baby boomers are a little bit carrying forward. You know, they've been yeah. tainted. They're biased by their prior experiences, so they're bringing that into this right. equation. Where like the millennials, um, and I mean, I joke with my kids all the time that you know they're so used to like posting something on their social media and getting likes. Yeah. And like, how many likes you get? Like, yeah, it's a thing. Like, right. You know, so, um, in fact, I've heard stories and from my children about like people they know that people, if they don't get enough likes, they'll delete it. So like if I'm on Instagram and I post a picture and I only get a hundred likes, I'm going to delete it because I didn't get 200 likes. Really? Yeah. It's a thing. And so when you're saying this, po- like they only want to give the positive, it's like the like, I'm, I'm a d- double tap. Yeah. I'm going to like it. Like, oh yeah. Oh, like it. Oh, like, oh, cute picture. Like, oh, I don't really like them, but I feel like I have to like it. Like, you know, like, huh. So that positive, like that makes sense yeah, to me, yeah. like with that type of a background. Yeah. Interesting. So, and, and so if you think about like, how do you engage with these or as an organization engage with them? So they engage back with you. Yeah. Look at all these different things that can, you know, kind of, uh, twist your, your, your engagement levels. Yeah. Yep. So in this uh, particular company and what we wound up, part of the dialogue was like for the baby boomers, you got to think about the positive reinforcement and, you know, compliment people for what they're doing. Everybody likes a compliment now and then. But think about how when you give the feedback, the constructive feedback, don't just write it and then send it because that was the tool. Yep. But on the constructive, you know, you have less experienced people. So sit down and walk them through the, the comment or the feedback so that they understand it and they can learn from it. Yeah. I, um, so in my, uh, prior HR life, the number of times, and you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think actually, you know, 
having that HR experience made me a better people manager. Mm-hmm. Although I won't say that's true of all HR people. Yeah. But um, because having these conversations with managers, I remember one specifically. So he was, uh, I'll call him like a manager of a, of a warehouse. And so maybe 20 people, you know, that worked for him. Mm-hmm. And he talked to them all the time. He was out on the floor and he was very good. He was a, a father and a grandfather. Mm. And that's how he approached these these people. So yeah. let's say he saw somebody on a forklift and maybe they, you know, didn't have all of the safety um, equipment. He would stop them and, you know, tell them immediately, like, you've got to stop. You've got to put your safety on. Safety comes first. And, you know, we care about you. We need you to make sure you're being safe, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he would have these conversations. So, again, even his constructive feedback was all about, I want you to be better. I want this organization to be better. And so he was so good at it. And so it was very fun to see. There was other dysfunction caused by that, but as you can imagine. But as far as giving that feedback, like, he was so good at it. And and so when it came time for – he fought – annual performance reviews because he's like I give I give performance reviews every day yeah and that was the right way to do things and while I knew what he was doing was better than the process we had in place to some degree we still had to tick the box right and so that was hard but on the flip side and I'm sure you've had these conversations too there was those managers who just wanted to fill out the review and like hit save and never have the conversation oh yeah yeah like my jaw's on the table right now. Like mm-hmm. till this day, I can't believe that. And so if I worked for a person like that, okay, I'm not engaged. My yeah. boss is not even going to sit down and talk to me once a year. Well, just think about it. When, when the very traditional performance review, how often, how many employees get surprised? Oh, 90%. Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. It is. So I... From that perspective and the, and the traditional things and stuff, I, um, yeah. I'm I I easily have, and could, uh, definitely, um, reduce my engagement levels uh, because of things that are happening like that. Yeah. Um, what else is the article I have to say? We're way off tangent here. But... Yeah. Yeah. Like okay, where did we leave off here? Uh, okay, a little bit about generations and yeah. and and their things. You know, um, one thing that it says in here is um. Millennials, they, um, I don't know if this is true of millennials because I think it's true of all, all sort of the youngest people coming into the workforce, but you know, the, their coworkers are their friends. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, kind of becomes their social circle as well. Yeah. I don't think that's just true. I'm going to disagree a little bit with the article. I don't think that's just millennials. I think that was true when I entered the workforce. I think it was true when my parents probably entered the workforce. These are the people you're spending your days with. Yeah. Yeah, because I think about, like, my parents, and, uh, in fact, I think about, like, you know, one, they met at work, and then, two, like, my brother's godparents are people that they used to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, it was... I think it's true. You yeah. and I. That's yeah. how we became friends. Right. From work. Like, I think it becomes your social yeah. circle. Um, but I will say, I think the first time I ever took a, an employee engagement survey... Uh, I'm trying to think of the year 2004, 2005. Now, I don't know the history of all engagement surveys, but that was my first experience in it. And I was on the HR side of things. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was super interesting to me is there was a question on there that said, do you have a best friend at work? Hmm. 
and when I first took that, I was like, that's just, that's a stupid question. Like yeah. if I'm engaged at work, ask me about my work, ask me about right. where I work, you know, yeah. ask me, like, why are you asking me about best friend at work? But of course, over the years and looking back at that, yeah. what a naive thing to think, because if you do have friends at work, you look forward to going to work. You look forward to working with them. You look forward to chatting with them. Again, now yeah. you've got this, you, you've built this support system essentially yeah. at work. Network. Yeah. Yeah. And now it now I, I get enjoyment just by having these friends at work. Yeah. And so sometimes I think about that and I go, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, you and I became friends at work. Like, you know, I've got work yeah. friends. There are people who don't. Yeah. And yep. I, if I didn't have somebody who, like, I could share, like, even, like, personal stories with, you know, oh, like, this happened with, like, this happened with my cat. Or, yeah. you know, oh, you know, I heard from my son or daughter today or whatever. Like, it's on my mind. It's a part of who I am. And if I don't have someone to share that with that I feel I can trust mm -hmm. and have that sort of level of relationship with, okay, I'm going to be totally disengaged. Well, yeah. And think about the amount of hours that you spend at work. Yeah. I think it's only natural. Yeah. Well, and but, I work virtually now. Like yeah. I'm a remote worker, but I still have those, uh, you know, like I'm, I still develop those relationships. And so even though going to work means, you know, taking a couple additional steps over to my computer, yeah. <laughs> um, like those are still people like I, you know, get on the, you know, uh, the messaging right away and like, oh, good morning. Hey, I'm yeah. at work. You know, yeah. like, so I mean, I, even being remote, I still have my, you know, quote unquote, best friends at work. Yeah. Have you ever heard anybody or go, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to work. Yes. Yeah. That makes me disengage as well. Yeah. Like, I don't want to work with people like that. I mean, I, I understand the thought, but you have to have a rapport with people you work with. It's how you get stuff done. Yes. In, in general. I mean, yes, you have your own individual tasks that you've got to do, but you got to have a rapport with some people because there's always handoffs of what you do to somebody else to go to complete or do whatever that makes sense. Like, like yeah. I do part of the job and then like I'm done like filling out the paperwork for your benefits. Then yeah. it gets transferred over to the benefits yeah. team to implement. For example, if I don't have a rapport with somebody in benefits to say, Hey, I'm giving you a heads up on this. This is mm -hmm. a unique situation, but well, yeah. uh, you know, it's the old, uh, here I go with another cliche that I can't yeah. think of. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And there is some definite merit to you can get things done, period, or done faster or done better or mm -hmm. done more enjoyably if you have the relation, if you have the network, if you've got the right. connections, you've got that support system that you can lean on those people. Because like if there's somebody I know who I go, oh man, they're just so great. Yeah, I love working yeah. with them. They call me up someday and they need my help. They will get prioritized higher it's, than some rando. Right. It's natural. I mean, you That's look just at your like, inbox and you see an email. Oh, I see an email from Tammy. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Or I see an email from, like, say, a, a Suzy Q. Like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Suzy Q. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got to tell you something funny. I use Suzy Q as an example at my new job. And somebody wrote down, oh, we're hiring Suzy Q into, how do you, is it, how do you spell Suzy's last name? And I'm like, it's just an example. It's a That's my fictional friend. Uh, I love it. Um, okay. Uh, so 
I thought this was a, a an interesting um, statement he makes. And to kind of, I think, wrap up a lot of the things that we just touched on is that organizations have to change from being command and control managers to high-performance coaches. Yes, I completely agree. And I feel like that those simple words that he puts together there, um, we have probably a couple of episodes uh, that we have spent basically saying that same thing yeah. in a lot more words than yep. that one sentence. But I think high-performance coaches really is what we need now and probably even evolving into the future um, for our leadership. Um <laughs> again wrapping up very simply things that we've said he also says it begins by changing what leaders believe and then changing how they lead completely agree completely agree so i'm gonna tie that into the when you said when hr is out and about you know looking to engage with employees these are where we need ideas how do we um what do you need from leadership and what does that mean um to be a coach or, or, or to lead these new types of, of organizations. And he wraps it up. And I know that, um, we could probably do a whole episode on this one statement, but I think it's a good way to kind of conclude this. So Kim, think beyond your own workplace. Think beyond your own workplace. Yeah. Okay. Let's do an episode on it. Right. Like, uh, we've recently had our own discussion about, you know, don't be confined by your title. Yeah, exactly. So I think that also encourages engagement is when you can be a little bit free. So think beyond your own workplace. Agree. Um, Should we state the obvious? Let's state the obvious. Um, this was all about engagement, and we don't have engaged workforces. So how do we get there? Based on what we talked about today, I'm going to call out two points. I think that as um, – as an individual, what we each can be thinking about to maybe increase our own engagement or those around us. So even if we're not people managers, if you're a people manager, definitely, but even every individual. Number one, network. Build your connections. Develop relationships. Have that best friend. No, that might be going too far. But have have that whole network and support system at work. Make those relationships. Um, it's a bit of a craft to learn how to do it because sometimes it can be super awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. But work on it. Develop them. But in episode 35 with Debbie Rudin, she talked about networking and it was about being curious. Yeah. Don't be awkward. Be curious. Yeah. Put yourself out there. Ask people. Yeah. Be curious. Yeah. About them. And then the other one is we talked about being self-aware. And, and that is as uh, as a manager, as an employee, um, as a contributor to that organization, be self-aware. What what gaps do you have? How can they be filled? Come up with creative ideas. Share those with people. Um, that I think that leads a little bit into that think beyond your own workplace as well. Be self-aware. Ask for what you need. Go ahead and share what you think others might need uh, to fill their gaps. Yeah. So, Great. Kim, two points. Network, be self-aware. Got it. That's the obvious. <laughs> oh, it's so obvious. All right. So... Um, this is um, being recorded right at Veterans Day. So uh, thank you to all of our veterans and, our fa and your families for your service. Thank you to our active military as well. And please stay tuned for our next episode of Cubicle Insanity.